everybody. I'm Dr. Sophia. And I'm Matt. And welcome to another episode of Sex and the Bull City. Today we are going to be talking about what is narcissism. Narcissism is a pretty hot topic these days. Um, We hear a lot about it in the news and a lot of people toss that diagnosis and word around sort of describing different relationships that they may be involved with. And here in our office at Bull City Psychotherapy, we certainly see a lot of clients who have a lot of narcissistic traits and some who who technically are uh, diagnosed with some type of narcissism. So we thought it might be a really good idea to kind of help break this down for everybody and do it in a pretty easy, easy user-friendly way and just sort of talk about some different narcissistic topics here today. Matt, what else do you want to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a super important topic, really interesting topic. Um, I like that we're kind of starting out these podcast episodes in these first five or so with ones that, you know, we could do multiple episodes on, on any one of these one topics that we've gone into so far. But this is a really good one, you know, for reasons that you mentioned and others. Like, like you say, it's a, it's kind of a pop culture idea or a term that people throw around about, like, oh, you're being so narcissistic. Um, and you know, I'm not here to say that's that's good, bad, or otherwise, but it is out there. People talk about it, and it's important to know what we mean when we say that stuff. So I'm glad we're talking about this because I think we're gonna try to call out the, the distinctions between what what is narcissistic personality disorder. What does that look like? You know, how often is it is it diagnosed? How do we know when maybe we're in a relationship with somebody who might meet that criteria? Um, what are narcissistic traits? Because narcissistic traits show up, you know, in lots of different places that may be less prevalent than the full-blown disorder personality disorder itself. Um, and then, you know, we can kind of also think about how does that differ from the way sometimes we throw these ideas around in more of just a conversational way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, that pretty much sums it up of what we're going to cover here today. And, you know, it's always nice to start with a generally accepted definition that comes from our source, which is the DSM. And so narcissistic personality disorder is kind of the biggie here. Um, This is much bigger than someone having narcissistic traits. But generally, narcissistic personality disorder Um, People have um, a lack of empathy for others. There's a great need for admiration, and they kind of think of themselves as being very grandiose or or better than others. Um, Oftentimes we can see arrogance or self-centeredness, self-absorption, manipulative behavior, and they're very demanding, like, I deserve this. This is, is, you know, what I need. Um, And that they deserve special treatment. A lot of these behaviors, um, we tend to begin in childhood, um, not early childhood only, but also could be adolescence when we're kind of at that more separate from parents angry stage. And um, in in order to really have narcissism, you have to really see this behavior in all areas of someone's life, not just at home with intimate relationships, but also at work in the community at large. Um, And sort of it permeates all parts of their lives. Um, Other things that we kind of look at, if we have to have, um, we kind of go down a checklist when we assess people for different disorders. And, And someone needs to have at least five of 
the following symptoms. I'm not going to say all of all of them. So exaggerates an importance, preoccupied with fantasies of success, power, beauty, intelligence, or romance, um, believes he or she is special, requires constant attention and admiration, has unreasonable expectations, uh, takes advantage of others, disregards the feelings of others, lacks empathy, and also can be envious of others. Um, now, you know, we might actually, one thing that's a little bit scary about reading the DSM is a lot of us can read a lot of these disorders and go, oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, that's me. I have depression. I have anxiety. I've got this and that, da, 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 da. I've got all kinds of disorders. And so... Just diagnosing all of them. Yeah, exactly. I know that happens in a lot of Psych 101 classes, you know, when we're younger, taking a lot of psychology classes. So, you know, we all have traits of narcissism at some point in our lives. So no need for everyone to get freaked out about this. The best way to know if our behavior or our feelings is valid for what we're experiencing is to talk about it with an expert. So someone who has experience with diagnosing others, especially with narcissism or whatever it is that one might be concerned that they either have or are in a relationship with. And that's kind of what we're going to dig into a little bit more today. So that's sort of a basic general um, definition when we think about the true diagnosis of narcissism we're going to remember those things that I just went over and I know Matt um, you're going to talk a little bit about um, you do a partners group here at Bull City which is awesome and everybody loves it and I know narcissism is talked about in that that group a lot so we're definitely going to get to that but I didn't know if you wanted to add anything if, if that's our diagnosis the the true DSM definition of narcissism like what are some things you might hear um, what do you think um, addiction may present as with narcissism which we all know as addicts um, when we're in our active addiction we certainly look like narcissists and so talk to me about that absolutely yeah so you know and, and as you as you read all that that criteria it's um, it just drives that point home right that these some of these examples show up for all of us yeah. throughout the course of, of our human experience you know we all um, can can lean you know in those ways you know some days more than others so um, it's very real it's it's very very common to, to experience some of these things but like we, we said off the top like when does that that leaning or that experience or that bad day or week you were having you know start to transition into something that maybe um, is going to meet that criteria what does it mean to meet criteria for personality disorder and, and what's helpful and so there are all these kind of I, I just picture dominoes falling as like if this is true then this is true then this is how what we do about that so um, yes yeah, so not only is are most people going to identify with some of the things that, that you listed as criteria you know, just throughout the course of a given week and month um, but you you know offered the invitation to think about you know how does how does it show up in addiction and yeah it, it can be a, a very there's a lot of overlap at least let me start there right when we think of some of the big things like what do we look for for, for narcissistic personality disorder we think about a lack of empathy all right so so what do we mean like a, a kind of a, a limited capacity or maybe no capacity to really put ourselves in the shoes of someone else or consider somebody else's experience maybe how our behaviors might impact that that's absolutely that experience is, is definitely present with someone who's, who's in active addiction. You know, and in, in some ways we, we talk about how the addiction experience is, is one of the most selfish experiences we go through as a human being because I, I'll speak, I can, I've seen it everywhere and like I can say it personally, 
when I was in my active addiction, everything was about me. And it's not that I was super conscious about that, but it's everything was about what was I going to do that day to catch that buzz, to make sure I could squash the, the, at least some of that pain I was in. And even things that would come up, like let's say something bad happened, you know, we were worried about the health of a family member or something bad happened in the world. Well, even I made that about me because that pain I was feeling, I, I drank that away, which made me inaccessible to, to other people in my life. So absolutely, that lack of empathy is going to be present in, in spaces where addiction is also present. Um, and then, you know, you start talking about this notion of, of grandiosity is, is, a, is one of the telltale signs that we might be dealing with, uh, with some narcissism and the sense of entitlement. So, you know, who among us maybe hasn't struggled with some entitlement uh, here, there, or, or noticed it in people that we love? So um, that's going to be a big, a big piece of overlap is this, this selfishness, this entitlement, um, this struggle to be empathetic to, to anybody else's experience because we're just so blinded by our own pain and our own, um, you know, really just distorted ways that we can try to soothe, destructive ways that we try to soothe that pain. So those are some of the big things that come up to me as far or come to mind as far as what are some of the addicts experiencing. Um, in our partners group, sometimes they'll they'll report things, um, you know, like like the gaslighting experience, the lies, um, uh, very common from addicts. You know, this experience, this lack of empathy shows up. Like if if you've never been in that space, if you're a person who's never really struggled with addiction, never really struggled with with too many of these narcissistic you know, traits, then when you're in the presence of it you feel like you're going crazy. We use this term crazy making sometimes. Yeah. Because that's what a lot of these partners will report is like, you know, uh, just, let's just uh, kind of take it to my experience. Like, you know, if I'm the male addict and my, and my partner is, 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 is my female spouse, you know, in her voice, it'd be something like, he looked at me and, and he wanted me to believe that he hadn't been drinking that morning, which was insane because I could see how giant his pupils were and yeah. I could smell it on his breath. It's like, he's feel crazy that he uh, another human being would look at me and try to make me believe that that was true it's like if you get the feeling someone's trying to tell you that the grass is blue and the sky is green you might be in the presence of some of this stuff yeah so that's how some of it starts to show up in the room with these partners it's like i just couldn't believe that my person would talk to me that way or try to make me believe that that was true but after i heard it enough after i heard it for days or weeks or whatever i started to think well Am I crazy? You know, am I taking this too seriously? Am I making too much of this? So that's one of the, if, if I hear comments like that, I start to wonder what's going on over there. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, that makes sense. Some other ways that I, I hear about it um, from my clients, and also I see it in the room with clients, is I want to go back to what you said at the towards the beginning of it does not matter what we are talking about. Um, everything comes back to about me or that person. It's all about me. And so that all about me phrase that we think is kind of funny, it actually is some people's reality. Um, so the true narcissist, everything is going to actually be about him or her. It does not matter what we are talking about or what what is going on. Um, there could be something happening on another side of the world. It's all about him or her. Um, now, where I think that's different with addiction is, um, again, addicts in their active addiction can mimic many different types of full-blown personality disorders, narcissism just being one of them, so we're talking only about narcissism today, but that can really present to um, 
you know, on a smaller scale, everything's still coming back to him or her. So again, what you're saying, I, I had to drink or I had to go act out sexually. Oh, well, because I felt so bad because of what you did and what you said. And it's when you did this, then I had to do that. And it's all, it's all about me and how to make myself feel better, it, regardless of how you might feel, is how, how active addiction actually is and and so for me I think about it when I can see that someone is an active addiction I'm not doing a diagnosis of narcissism in that moment or even in that 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 you know period to come in the short future I'm gonna wait until we can get people stabilized get some some good decent abstinence and recovery happening and then we're gonna really look at what's going on with the person so we kind of know that active addiction is gonna be basically our worst parts of ourselves coming out hurting those around us and um, this self-absorption is what I really call it instead of narcissism um, I really want you know for people to understand that it's it's it can be really a harmful thing to go around just you know throwing that word you're narcissistic you're a narcissist around um, for so many reasons which maybe we'll have time to talk about maybe we won't but self-absorption is just sort of a way that I really see active addiction that we can we have plenty of time later to see if they're actually a narcissist or not yeah and I'm gonna pop in on that for a second because yeah. one of the things I hope I have for this this podcast work that we're doing is that we're gonna help some people become smarter consumers of psychotherapy and, and you know, uh, you know as, as they launch into their own work and you you bring up a point that I think is super important which is that if we think that that addiction is present um, that has to be the clinical priority right we have to get into that into that sobriety into that early recovery and then we can start seeing what else is there you know what led to those destructive cycles right and maybe there is a personality disorder present but we can't really be sure of that until the addictive cycles are are under control so um, yeah I elevate that to just mention that if, if you're doing your own work and, and you get some feedback that addiction might be present or you're worried about someone you love and addiction might be present that's clinical priority number one that's a really, really good point. I mean, um, you know, and just as an aside, um, there are always those clients. We don't have a lot of them here in this practice, but I've been doing this a long time for over 20 years. And there are those clients that even if there may be um, addiction present, it's, you know, with certain assessments, we can clearly see um, if there are true personality disorders going on. That is not a, a huge Part of the population so we don't there's not a large percentage of people who have um, narcissistic personality disorder or a lot of personality disorders does it happen is it out there absolutely um, and sometimes when we when we actually know people who have the true diagnosis of narcissism for instance what's really interesting is you can see their personality disorder is actually um, more prominent than whatever addiction they have so the addiction is does take sort of it's sort of there but the personality disorder is is just as as prominent again that does not happen a lot for most of us and most of the people running around the world that we're going to come in contact with they're going to have traits of narcissism not the full-blown disorder and we're going to see addiction much more often than we see a true personality disorder yeah yeah, yeah. and maybe you know this is a good time to share yeah. some stats we have yeah. on that. so um you know, you offered the, you know, the rigorous criteria that we look for when we're 
diagnosing narcissistic personality disorder. And um, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to these stats, so I was really excited to find a really good study. Now, um, this one's from 2008, so it's not the newest thing in the world, but it, it was very thorough. It's hard to do a study of this size, right? So this one was through the National Institute of Health. The lead author is Stinson. And it's a 2008 study that conducted face-to-face -face interviews with 34,653 adults. So it's a national epidemiologic survey with over 34,000 participants. So what they found was that um, a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder applied to 6.2% of people overall. And I think an interesting and uh, important distinction if, if we look at that is, is one where we can look at that across gender lines, right? So it was slightly higher, more prevalent in men at a rate of 7.7% and with women at a rate of 4.8%. So that's, you know, not nearly as often as we kind of hear that term tossed around, you know, um, popularly and culturally, but it's not one in a million either, you know? So for generally the folks, the amount of folks we're gonna come in contact with, eight out of 100, Met, people identify as male, and five out of a hundred uh, people who identify as female um, are going to meet criteria for narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, those are really, I mean, those are, I love looking at stats also. Those are super interesting, and you know, it just sort of helps us remember that, um, again, most people running around the world that we're going to come in contact with, if we see people that are highly self absorbed or lack empathy, there is very likely something else going on like active addiction that we just may not be aware of. However, there are some people that legitimately are going to have narcissistic personality disorder. Um, there, there are many more people running around the world that have traits of narcissism and we learn to have those traits based on different experiences that we have, usually in childhood, and they come out in adulthood when we get triggered by different events and activating issues and circumstances and that can be things like um, I am married to a sex addict or I'm married to an addict or I am an addict and so these are the things that that, that can trigger um, either narcissistic traits or perception of narcissistic traits um, let's see let's talk for a couple minutes and about what do we do as as a consumer if we think I might be married to a narcissist or I might be in a relationship with one, maybe my mom is, maybe I am, I'm not sure. I mean, what, what do we think is a good idea, Matt, you start? Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of makes me think about a larger point we continue to, to discuss in this conversation, which is like, you know, narcissistic personality disorder is not everywhere, but it's not nowhere either. So when we when you invite the question of like, so what, what do we do if we're kind of worried that this might be in our life somewhere? One of the first things that comes to mind for me is you need to consult with somebody who knows what they're looking for. They, they want to, you need to be with somebody who knows narcissistic personality disorder when it's in front of them. Even if they're not, you know, because a lot of clinicians even aren't super comfortable or interested in, in working with this population or right. treating personality disorders right. or this one specifically. That's all. That's all fine, uh, but you need to be with somebody who's going to give it the, the proper kind of respect in the room, mm -hmm. right? Even if it's not going to be something that they're going to treat, make sure you're with somebody who knows what to look for. Because, and, and this this kind of, I'm a little bit passionate about this idea, not just because misdiagnosing is, it hurts people, but I hear this story pretty frequently of um, somebody coming into our our rooms and having the experience with another clinician where they say. Oh no, that's not. That just is not a problem. You know, they're 
it's this other aspect of your relationship that we need to focus on. Or we just need to work on your communication. Or, or they're just kind of dismissive of the narcissistic traits or the full-blown disorder that, that really, if they knew what to look for, it would be pretty obvious that, that they were in the room with them. So that's yeah. kind of step one, is do your best to get with somebody. And, and you can ask them that question right away, you know, in the first hour or so. Like, what's your comfortability with personality disorders or narcissism specifically? Like, do you work with that? Is that something you're particularly aware of? Because not every clinician is. Yeah, and um, I want to piggyback on that and talk a little bit more in depth about that. Everything you said, absolutely. And even before someone spends money on their first session, I would say do it in an email or, or over the phone of, um, do you work with personality disorders? Because you're right, many therapists simply do not. It's just not their wheelhouse and they don't want to do it. Um, that's perfectly fine. Um, and if they say yes, then it's very appropriate to ask, okay, great, exactly what therapies do you do when working with narcissism or blah, 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 whatever your question might be. You know, really, really do your homework um, when looking for a therapist. This will be something that we visit many times in our podcast. It's not, it's really not about finding a nice face that you want to look at and have somebody that just nods, nods their head and says yes to you. Um, you know, you can probably get that for free, honestly, somewhere else just talking to a friend. And so when you go to therapy and when you're picking someone to really deal with, with heavier issues like personality disorders, you've really got to look for someone who's got a great deal of experience. Um, maybe a PhD doesn't have to be a PhD, but there needs to be a great deal of experience um, for sure. And they need to be able to have a conversation with you about what they actually do um, to work with narcissism. Here at Bull City, we use schema therapy and EMDR and other related therapies that are research-based, uh, proven to be very effective when working with narcissists. So again, doing your homework with a therapist, um, incredibly important. Um, and then also, what about if, if, if we actually think that, you know, we might be a narcissist or maybe we've been triggered by something that is bringing out these behaviors in us? Do you th is it the same conversation? Like, was it the same answer of look for someone who's got experience? But what might that client need? Anything in addition to that you think, Matt, different than a partner? Well, I think, so the first thing that comes to mind for me there is, um, you know, if someone has reached the point where um, they're going to meet criteria or get real close for this narcissistic personality disorder, the way I understand that is, I mean, these are, these are personality adaptations that result from things that we've experienced deep in our past. You know, likely we will talk about them as, as traumatic or, or name them as trauma. But I, um, I remember reading an article about narcissistic personality disorder, and I just love the language about how these are personality adaptations, responses that we have to things that were so very painful, we didn't know anything else to do other than develop patterns of behavior that, that show people aggressive lack of empathy, yeah. patterns of behavior that make us have this deep need for constant admiration, patterns of behavior that, that lead us to the space of grandiosity and entitlement, right? So the, all that is to say that um, if we're worried that if this sounds like, like me, then I need somebody who's going to be um, ready to help me unpack that, help yeah. me understand where this stuff has come from. Yeah. You know, when you, when you name schemas, you know, so some of the ways we talk about schema work is to understand 
you know, where, how did this develop? Yeah. Where, what did I experience early yeah. on, earlier on in my life that, that nudged me into this, this, this space where this was my MO, right? So, and so we need to be in a space where we're, someone's competent and, and, and we're comfortable going there, right? Yeah. Doing that work. And because we're, if we're at this point, we're interested in taking on such massive life changes, we need more than just maybe an hour a week of talking with a good professional. Good. Right? We're going to yeah. need some support groups. We're going to yeah. need to talk with other people who have had similar experiences to help us find our way out of this and develop new patterns and know when these old ones are showing up again. Yeah, awesome answer. I, I love that. So, you know, if we do have serious issues ourselves, um, personality disorder, or narcissism is what we're talking about today, and we're just sort of becoming aware of this, you're right, not only do we need an experienced therapist who has research-based methods to deal with that, but we need to have people able to deal with the trauma as to how we got here in the first place, or, or you know, whatever that was. Maybe it was some kind of very silent, silent trauma of just being ignored as a child. Um, and so, you know, that is so important to be able also to work with someone more than an hour a week to do more intensive work, maybe have two hour sessions, you know, twice a week at the, you know, for the first few months until you really start, you know, digging deep and feeling more confident in your recovery. Um, so it's a different, it's a little bit different of a bag than if you're a partner who thinks he or she may be married to a narcissist. You might be seeing the same same type of therapist or even the same therapist, but the person who actually has narcissism may need more work. It might even be daily contact, maybe email or phone call, um, check-ins with the therapist. I know a lot of people do that. So um, that's super important to know that everyone's treatment is not gonna look the same. And then back to partners who may be in a relationship with narcissists, Boundaries are super important, um, and most everything we're going to talk about, boundaries are really important. Um, you know, for all people to have, regardless of what our issues may or may not be, we want healthy boundaries so that we can know where we are, where we begin and end, and where other people begin and end, so that we don't sort of become incredibly enmeshed or codependent or whatever you want to call it, but also so we don't get um, so incredibly hurt when we are living with or in a relationship with people who have some pretty severe problems like either active addiction or narcissism, take your pick, both really, really hurtful to people around around those people. So boundaries are, are key. Yeah. 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 And to piggyback on that a little bit, you know, it's in some ways it mirrors, you know, as a partner, the recovery path might mirror that of of the person struggling with the, the narcissistic personality disorder. Um, in that, you know, I've noticed this this pattern of we need to kind of address the wreckage in front of us. You know, the folks usually come in after having experienced some recent and deep pain as a result of, of you know being in a relationship with someone uh, struggling with narcissism. So we kind of have to see what's going on today. How do we name that? How do we heal through that? How do we get crystal clear on? seeing and, and holding those boundaries today right and then we can start the work of saying you know what there were probably some, some patterns I was getting into that made me susceptible made me kind of want to be in this space where um, I was in this relationship with with this you know, person who, who's, who 
who's a narcissist. So it's like, let's let's deal with what's in front of us. Let's develop some new patterns that are going to keep us safe and boundaried and more aware of what's going on, kind of reclaim that reality, yeah. right? And then it's, if, if they're interested, and I always hope they are, let's do some of that work to see what got us here. Yeah, right? that's really good. Yeah, um, I feel like I have said all I need to say uh, just for a first, a first session on basic what is narcissism anything else you want to add Matt no just a you know 30 second recap you know this is not narcissism is not um, you know the selfie generation it's not just you know posting to social media it's not you know just a, a quick sitcom laugh you know um, we talk about it that way and for some folks and that's fine it is a serious personality disorder that requires serious treatment you know we're not going to read one kind of self-improvement book over over a weekend and say I think I got this thing licked you know so it requires a, a competent healthcare team or requires serious effort to change these these patterns um, and if you're in a relationship with somebody it probably requires them to be doing some of their own work as well um, but all, with all that said it is serious and it requires a ton of work and there is absolutely reason for hope we know what to do with this stuff um, there are treatments that work really well so if you, if you feel like you're worried about yourself or somebody else struggling get in there and, and, and do the work because because there is a way out of this yeah, that was a great recap. Um, I agree with everything you said. Um, this is serious, but there are so many great ways that we can work with this. And um, again, schema therapy is one of them. And you know, working with narcissism and helping helping people grow through that is definitely a possibility. So many things are possible, and we hope that whoever um, out there is listening to our podcast that that you're finding. Um, uh, this content helpful, but also understanding that there is so much growth that we can have um, if we just find the right therapist and have the right support networks around us and we work hard. There are many ways that we can all learn to live full and happy and content lives. Thanks so much, everybody, for another episode of Sex in the Bull City, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Take care. See you next time. <laughs>